You're listening to the Resurgent ATL Church Podcast. We hope you enjoy today's message. Well, thank you. Well, yes, it is Happy Mother's Day, and I do want to just thank you for letting us have fun and kind of recognizing moms and just having some fun with that. But, you know, I know it can also be a difficult day for some people. So, you know, if there's anyone in here who maybe it's just a particularly difficult day, um, you know, maybe you've lost your mom, um, then we just want to declare over you the comfort and joy and peace of fond memories. And just the joy of knowing that you will one day meet again. And, you know, for people who maybe you just wish, you know, I wish I just had a better relationship with my mom. Or maybe I don't have the relationship that I wished I had with my kids. We just want to declare over you reconciliation of family today. And, you know, maybe you just desire to be a mom and it just hasn't happened for you yet. We just declare over you the promises of God fulfilled in your life. And, um, you know, I did know that I was going to speak on Mother's Day. I've known for quite a while. And I thought that I was going to talk on family. And I think I shared some of this, you know, a couple of years ago on, on Mother's Day about family. And then Chris stood up a few weeks ago, and he stands up, and he announces that he's going to do a two-week series on family. And I was sitting there on the front row, and I was, like, so irritated with him. <laughs> I was like, oh going to do now, you know, and I really, I felt like, I really felt the elbow of the Holy Spirit go, is family not important enough to speak on three weeks in a row? And I was like, okay, Lord, you know, maybe there is this particular reason that I also need to speak on family. So I'm going to speak on family as well, but I want to, I want to talk to you about the strength it gives us and the redemption on it. And, you know, family is really important. And I've discovered that I have this incredible strength that I never knew that I had until I've needed it for my family. And I mean, you know what I'm talking about because you have it too. You know, you would jump out in front of a speeding car to save one of your children. You'd fight off a wild animal with your bare hands to save your family, right? Who saw that in the news this week where that bobcat attacked that woman and the husband runs out there and he picks it up by the throat with his bare hands and he's holding it in the air and then he doesn't even realize it and then he's like, oh my goodness, it's a bobcat. I mean, did you see that? I mean, that was scary. And, um, you know, I'm terrified of heights, but I would climb the steepest cliff if I had to to save one of my children. So there's this warrior that lives on the inside of us, right? And, you know, even in the presence of confrontation, Mama Bear can come out of the tiniest, shyest, most timid, non-confrontational woman when she has needed to defend her family, right? And there's no amount of embarrassment. There's no amount of fear that can contain it. And, um, you know, when our kids were little, we spent a lot of time on the ball field. Anybody else? I'm sure you did. And I remember this one particular Saturday, we were um, sitting at the ball field watching our older son play baseball. I think he was about seven, so that made Tristan, our younger son, about three years old. And Tristan was just running around the bleachers, playing in the dirt, playing, you know, with the other little siblings. And this little four-year-old, five-year-old girl walks up to us, and she says, um, Tristan went in the woods with a man with a green shirt. Ugh, 
I cannot, I do not have to tell you, we, I mean, we were overcome with fear. And Chris and I jumped up off the bleachers, and we took off running. We're headed towards the woods, and we're stopping people along the way. Have you seen a man with a green shirt? Have you seen a little boy with blonde hair? You know, and we're just, panic is beginning to rise up in us. Chris kind of ran on ahead, and um, I think we got to the very last set of bleachers before the, um, the woods and the people, you know, their backs are to us. And I think Chris's intention was to just kind of run up behind those bleachers and get them to come off and go into the woods and help him look. I think that was his intention. But by now, the panic has welled up. And he just has lost his mind. Sorry. And he was like, he says, um, he just throws his hands up in the air and he screams, somebody help me. I need help. And he just takes off running in the woods. And I remember thinking, oh, well, he tells me later, he's running through the woods, and he comes to this group of teenagers, and he just begins to terrorize these teenagers. He's like, what are you doing in the woods? You know, have you seen a man with a green shirt? Have you seen a little boy? But anyway, I remember watching this panic rise up in him, and I began watching him become frantic. And I literally thought, who in the world is this person? Like, where is my hero, my man who has, you know, protected me, taken such good care of me, who when I was on my near deathbed would send doctors and nurses fleeing out of the room in tears when their words did not line up with his faith? You know, where's that man? And it, I, it dawned on me, I am going to have to do something. Right? So, you know, I just did. I was like, oh, my goodness, this is going to depend on me. I've got to do something. And I remember just stopping dead in my tracks. And people, hundreds of people at the field coming and going. And I just lifted my hands up to the heavens. And I just began praying out loud. And I said, Holy Spirit, I am so afraid. I'm so afraid. I don't know what to do. I said, Holy Spirit, I need you to tell me what to do. And as I began to pray the world just kind of began to move in slow motion, and it kind of began to spin to my left. And as I moved with it, I looked up, and I saw Tristan coming down the stairs out of the men's restroom. Well, I ran over, of course. I whisked him up. He hadn't been taken. Um, he didn't know I was frantic. And I ran to the edge of the woods, and I called out to Chris, Chris, you know, I found him. I found him. We come, you know, we're crying together. We're, we recover. But now... We have to go back to this ball game, and we have to sit on these bleachers with all of these people who, who we have made utter fools out of ourselves in front of, you know. And you know what? I was not embarrassed. I was not embarrassed. I was so grateful that I had my baby back. I did not care how I acted in front of all of these people. And, you know, I kind of tell that, and I over-dramatize it and kind of pick on Chris a little bit because, um, you know, usually he's the one that's strong, and it is Mother's Day, so I get to be the hero today. So I'm going to, of course, tell one on me that makes me look like the hero in that moment. But, you know, isn't that... Just like God, that's family, that when one of you falls apart, the other one just seems to kick it in gear and take up the slack and run with it. And that's why one of the beautiful pictures of reason, the reason we need one another. And, you know, we have this testimony that we like to tell about this time when my older son and I were both in a car accident. And we were both ejected out of the vehicle onto the highway. And um, 
you know, when that happened, the enemy tried to appear to me and tried to convince me that Cody was dead. But I can't even explain it. There's something on the inside of me that just welled up, and it just took over. And I began to declare life. I began to declare truth. I began to declare what God's word said about the situation. And I said, no, Cody will live and not die and proclaim the wondrous works of the Lord. And when I said that, I knew that he would live. You know, in the midst of the most difficult thing that I had ever encountered, I found this deep inner strength that I never knew that I had. And, you know, how many moms can attest to this, that so much of motherhood has been learning about strength you didn't know you had and overcoming fears that you never knew existed, right? (laughs) So family gives us strength. It makes us stronger. And did you know that God's solution to all of the pain and suffering in this world is family? Yeah, he's, his solution is to raise up healthy families who would extend his healthy family throughout all of the earth because there's strength in his family and there is destiny on his family. And, of course, we do live in this world where, you know, the wounds of an orphan spirit has impacted every soul. And it's because the enemy wants nothing more than to destroy family. He would love to destroy God's solution. And he was the first, he was the original orphan. He was the first orphan, and he wants us to just join him in that orphanhood. But the good news is that every orphan and every broken heart can find a home in his family and um, uh, can encounter a heavenly father. It's good news, right? So, you know, Chris shared a couple of weeks ago about God's design being family. And we know him as family. We call him Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or Nurturing One. And I even want to go back to one of the scriptures that he looked at. This is Genesis 1. I want to start with 27, just where, you know, God says, let us create man in our image, male and female. And then a couple of verses down, he says, and he blessed them. And he told them to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and govern it. And, you know, Isaiah even prophesied what it would look like. In Isaiah 6, it says, um, I saw the Lord and the train filled the temple. And the seraphim were calling out, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty. And the whole earth will be filled with his glory. It's beautiful. You know, God created the earth with the purpose of birthing a people who were made in his image, who would display his glory among all the earth. And, you know, he created us for relationship. He created us for, for partnership. His intention was to rule the earth in partnership with us. And he wanted to know us, and he wanted to be known by us. That's family. He wanted us as family. And, um, you know, when Chris and I first were um, planning on starting Resurgent ATL, ATL, we started, we, we spent some time that summer, the summer before, 
and um, we were at this little lake house, and we were sitting in the living room, and we were just talking about, you know, what's the purpose of starting a church? I mean, is the purpose to just really have a different location to meet on Sunday morning, or do we have a purpose? What's behind this? And Chris just kind of began talking to me, and he was saying, you know, I really want to complete, to, um, what am I trying to say? I want to build a place that just makes people feel valued. I want them to feel like they can chase after their dreams. You know, I want them to feel empowered and just loved. I want a place of authenticity. And out of that conversation birthed our mission statement here at Resurgent ATL, which is that we want people to feel valued and known and loved extravagantly and empowered to pursue their dreams and destinies. And, you know, as we've began meeting over the last few years, our motto has kind of become building family around his presence. And those two things, our mission statement here and our motto, those really have been driving us to the long-term vision. The overall vision of the church is that we want to become a family who creates community that transforms culture. I mean, how are we going to transform culture and really, it's by displaying his glory among all the earth. You know, when God created his family, he created it with a directive. He said, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. And if we're going to do that, it really requires us to develop every member of the family into mature, powerful adults. See, because God's true church family, as we might call it, our church family. It's not merely about creating a, you know, safe place for everyone to belong, but it's really about creating an environment in which every member is able to discover and fulfill the purpose which God has created them. So family is a place of, of intentional development, right? Intentional development. And, you know, God's design in healthy family is that he gave us this ability to love deeply. I mean, he's given us the ability to love unconditionally. And if he didn't, we would probably give up on relationship. Because think about all the relationships that you've given up on that are outside of family, right? Because it became too difficult, too much of an investment on your part, just way too much work, Ooh, I'm out of here, and you just gave up on relationship, right? But God has given us this ability to love deeply and unconditionally. And, you know, if we're going to build a healthy family, especially among our church family, we cannot give up on relationship. And another thing he did when he was establishing family is that he gave us this desire to see our children succeed. And really, he gave us a desire to see our children surpass us. And, you know, we have this little saying around here that my, I want my ceiling to be my children's floor. And we've even said it, I think Chris said it last week in, in the church body, I want my ceiling to be the next generation, their floor. And you know what? It is not to make their destiny more important than ours. It is so that we, it is really so that we would involve them in the family's destiny. See, we are to incorporate them in the whole family. And how do we do that? We impart identity. 
we impart community, we impart maturity, and we impart responsibility. So he's given us this deep ability, um, or he's given us this ability to want to see other people succeed. So in healthy family, jealousy just never works. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, of course we know this, it damaged family in a massive way. And his plan of filling and subduing the earth became a source of brokenness. And um, when sin entered the earth, God, he put in motion his redemptive plan. You know how he did it? Through family. And I love that when God, when things didn't go as planned, God wasn't faced. I mean, that's not me. When things don't go as planned for myself, I'm faced. I mean, it shows. I'm not too happy about it when things don't go plan. I like things to go the way I plan. But you know what? God already knew what it was that he would do. And he would send a son to redeem mankind, and he would do it through family. Isn't that good? And you know how he did it? He did it through Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Rebecca. So I want to take a few minutes this morning and talk about these mothers. I want to start out with a mother of Sarah. Um, you know, God gave Sarah this specific promise. And how many moms in here, you have a specific promise over your family. You probably should all raise your hand because you have a promise. And she had this specific promise. And, you know, because she didn't see her promise come about in her timing, she nearly messed it all up by trying to help God out. And she creates for herself this problem outside of God's plan. So I want to look at this. This is found in Genesis 15. And this, I'm going to start where the Lord makes a covenant with Abram. This is before they were Abraham and Sarah. They were still Abram and Sarai. And this is, um, I'm going to start with verse 1. It says, After this, the word of the Lord came to Abraham, Abram in a vision. And he said, Do not fear, Abram. I am your shield, your very reward. But Abram said, Sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remained childless? You've given me no children, so a servant in my household will be my heir. But the Lord said to him, A son who is your own flesh and blood will be your heir. Look up at the sky and count the stars, if indeed you can count them. So shall your offspring be. So they have this promise over their family, right? But years go by and no child. And what does Sarah do? She decides to help God out. Anybody ever help God out? <laughs> she decides to help God out and tell God how to fulfill her promise. And this is found in the next chapter, Genesis 16. And it says that Sarah took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband. He slept with Hagar and she conceived. And when Sarah knew Hagar was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. I mean, why is she mad at Hagar? You know, because this was her plan and it's all working out just like she planned, right? But you know, it's because she finds herself on the outside looking in at someone else, living her promise, her dream. And, you know, why does she do this? Why does she create an Ishmael for herself? It's simply because she forgot who she was. You know, disappointment can make you forget who you are. 
How many of you have really experienced some serious disappointment and you just, your identity just goes right out the window. And sometimes we forget who we are. And you know, what does God do? Does he say, oh, well, Sarah, you really messed that up. I guess my plan can't come about now. Or he didn't say, well, you're just disqualified from the plan. It's just not going to work out for you. No. He reminds her of who she is. And she ev- he even changes her name. So let's look at Genesis 17. He says, and as for Sarah, your wife, right? First, he's, first of all, he's saying, you're the wife, Sarah, not Hagar. You are the wife. So he reminds her of who she is. He says, and as for you, Sarah, you're the wife. You will no longer be called Sarah, but you will be called Sarah. And I think it's funny that both of those names have the same meaning. They both mean promise. I mean, they both mean princess. You could even go further to say they actually mean my princess. And it's almost as if God is saying, hey, look, Sarah, you're the wife and you're Sarah. You're my princess. But if you're not quite getting it, let me change your name and call you Sarah, which means my princess, right? You are my princess. Get it in there. (laughs) You're my princess. And then he takes it a step further, and he gives her her very own promise. He says, you will be the mother of nations. And kings of people will come from you, right? Not from someone else, but from you. And I do want to even point out that in the very next verse, (laughs) it says, Abraham fell face down. He laughed and he said to himself, will a son be born to a man a hundred years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And then he even goes further to tell God, I've got an alternative for you. God, why don't you just, if only Ishmael might live under the blessing, right? And to me, when I read this verse, I think, wow. Sarah's dreams and promises were not very nurtured by her husband, right? It doesn't look like her faith is very stirred up with the support of her husband. But you know what, ladies? If you have a promise and that that promise or that dream isn't being nurtured by the other people around you, it doesn't matter. It is not necessary. It is not required that other people nurture your dreams in order to see those be fulfilled. It's nice. (laughs) It's nice to have. So, Chris, I just honor you and thank you for always honoring and nurturing my dreams. And if you're not, I'll sure let you know about it. (laughs) Right, ladies? Speak the truth. Speak the truth. All right. And then I just want to move on and finish up that story in Genesis 18. And this is where God appears to Abraham, right? And um, the three guys come up. You know, they were angels. And they've come, and Sarah and Abraham rush around to prepare a meal. And these men have come in order to prophesy into that dream, to prophesy into their future. And as they're sitting down to eat, to, to take this meal and to begin having this discussion, to begin this prophecy, one of the men looks up at, uh, at Abram, Abraham and he says, where's your wife? Sarah, where's your wife? 
You know, it's almost like they were saying, why is she hiding? Why is there a hiding in the tent? Why is she not out here part of this conversation, part of this, um, you know, discussion that we're about to have? Because they're about to prophesy into their dreams. And then one begins to prophesy, and he says, I will surely return to you about this time next year. And Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah, she was listening to this at the entrance of the tent, and she was past childbearing age. And it says that Sarah laughed to herself at the thought. And, you know, I'm sure that Sarah must have felt that her doubt her interference with God's plan, her mistreatment of Hagar, you know, her disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, the mess that she had made had somehow disqualified her or excluded her from her seat at the table. That somehow it had just kind of excluded her from this conversation or disqualified her from even receiving the promises of God over her family. But she didn't know the end of the story. And just two verses down, the Lord says to her, is anything too hard for the Lord? But, you know, we know the end of the story, right? Because Sarah did go on and give birth to a son. And she named him Isaac. And he married Rebecca, and they had the twins, Jacob and Esau. And Jacob had 12 sons who became 12 tribes, who became the nation of Israel, who were God's own people. And the destiny of this family continued on. You know, how many moms, maybe like Sarah, you know you have this promise, but somehow you have felt that somewhere along the way you've become disqualified, or maybe you've even forgotten who you are. And, um, you know, it would be so easy for me to believe that I've messed everything up. I mean, I've made some serious mistakes along the way as a mother. And, you know, our goal, Chris and I, our parenting strategy really was to just control our kids. You know, we thought we were just supposed to control our kids. And instead of seeing an opportunity to instruct them and to develop them and to, you know, impart identity, impart destiny, we just wanted to control them. I mean, so much of our own personal um, identity was wrapped up in seeing our kids have good behavior, right? And so, you know, we didn't have some of the skills that we needed for sure. And we didn't have Danny Silk's loving your kids on purpose. Anybody have read that or those teachings? We didn't have some of that. And again, I created some big messes. I'm not um, willing to come up here tonight and just tell you all about the Ishmael's that I've created in my life because it's embarrassing, right? I'm not going to share that. But I did pick two of our favorite stories that we like to tell on each other that are just funny parenting moments where I just kind of messed everything up and made a big fat mess. So we're just going to stick with these. I've told these before, so if you've heard them, um, then just bear with me. But the first one I want to tell on uh, my older son, Cody. And I asked everybody's permission this morning because I'm like kind of writing people out. But so um, it's mostly me. I'm the one that made the big fat mouse. But anyway, so Cody was um, uh, probably about 12 years old. He was a young teenager. And I remember we were in the kitchen. I was preparing soup. And um, I had prepared myself a bowl of soup, as a matter of fact. And Cody was this 
he was angry. And he was just fussing and fussing and fussing at me. And we're kind of going back and forth. And he just gets more angry and more angry and more angry. And he begins to raise his voice. And he's still not getting what he wants from me. And he leaned into me a little bit. And he stuck his finger in my face. Mm-hmm. And he's just, you know, mm. And when he did that, oh, I mean, the anger just welled up on the inside of me. Woo! I got so angry. I could just feel it. I could feel the blood rising, right? And I remember I just leaned right into him, and I stuck my finger in his face. And through gritted teeth, I said, don't you ever stick your finger in my face again, right? Good modeling, right? Yeah. And guess what he did? Yeah, you guessed it. He leaned right back into me. He stuck his finger in my face, and I remember looking at that finger, right? And he gritted his teeth, and he said, I'll stick my finger in your face if I want to. Oh, now I'm blood-boiling mad, right? And as he's saying it, it's as if he's speaking in slow motion, and I can hear it. I'll stick, and I'm looking at my soup, and I'm looking down at his finger in your face if I want to, right? And I just took that bowl of soup, and I went, and I just threw it right in his face. Well, yes. So, of course, this shocked the both of us terribly, and we probably had 15 seconds of pure silence because we couldn't believe that I had done this, and we didn't know who was going to speak first. And after a moment, I remember Cody pierced his lips, and he goes, and he shot this perfect stream of soup out of his mouth on the floor, and he says, I got to hand it to you. I did not see that coming. (laughs) Well, of course, we got to laughing, and we asked each other for forgiveness. We repented, and we just have this funny story that we can tell. But, you know, great parenting win on my side. You know, like when you're not getting your way, when your kid's not respecting you, just throw soup in their face, right? No. I mean, Danny has even taught us, you know, You can't control anybody, but on a good day, you should be able to control yourself. And that was a day I did not do a good job of controlling myself. And I couldn't leave out Tristan, so I found one of our funnier stories on Tristan. And I think Tristan was about seven when this happened. But so um, Tristan, yeah, he was about seven years old. He decided he was going to run away from home. And I can't tell you, this would make me so mad. I don't know why this made me so mad, but Tristan, like, ran away from home every other week. Oh, it just infuriated me. And I think it's because, you know, I wanted to chase him down the street, show him that I could still run faster than he could, that I could throw him over my shoulder and drag him back home. Like, I wanted to show him he was boss, right? I wanted to show him that I was in control. And I know all those parenting strategies, you're supposed to help them pack their little suitcase and, you know, kiss them. Oh, you have a good trip. We'll miss you, you know. I mean, I knew that, but that is not what I wanted to happen, right, because I was mad. And I'm thinking, plus, how dare he embarrass me in front of the neighbors? You know, like they even know what's going on, right? But I was just like this anger was just burning on the inside of me. And I remember seeing him, you know, slam the door, running out, the, out in the yard, running down the street. And I'm standing at the window looking out thinking, 
what am I going to do? I mean, am I going to do the right thing, the nice thing, you know, or am I going to chase him down, show him who's boss? And as I'm contemplating what is it that I'm going to do, I know what I want to do, but what am I going to do? I look up, and here comes Tristan. He's running back towards the house. And, I mean, he's running as fast as his little legs will go. He's pumping his arms. He's looking over his shoulders. He has fear in his face, terror in his eyes. And I'm thinking, what is he doing? And so I have to kind of like tippy-toe to see kind of further down the street. And up the hill comes this cop car. (laughs) It's coming up the hill, circles around our cul-de-sac, and it stops right in front of our house. And I'm thinking, oh, my goodness. What has he done now? Are you kidding me? He's been gone for five minutes. What could he have possibly done? And then he he comes running in the house. He runs upstairs, slams his bedroom door, and I'm standing there thinking, I am not talking to the cops. Like, I am so embarrassed. I will never. So I'm looking for Chris. I'm like, oh, gosh. I run in the basement. I said, you get out there. The cops are here. You intercept them before they get to the door because I am not talking to the cops, you know. So Chris runs out. You know, he goes outside. He walks to the end of the driveway, and he talks to them for a long time. And, of course, they were just looking for our neighbors, or they were just trying to see if we had seen something. And Chris comes back into the house, and when he does... We're all kind of waiting for the story. Tristan opens his bedroom, and he hollers down at Chris, well, what did they say? And Chris looks up the stairs, he sticks his finger out, and he says, they said they'd let it go this time, but if you ever run away from home again, they are going to have to take you in. Oh, Lord. Yes. so, thank goodness. So, you know, the funnier part about this is I think Tristan was like 16, 17 years old. We were telling that story at just a family gathering or something, and Tristan says, what? All these years I thought you'd call the cops on me. I was like, oh, darn. I could have really used this for my benefit, right? But, you know, I, we just tell that. That's just a funny story. It's one of our favorites, but it's kind of a testament to just you know, God's sense of humor and how he is so good about saving us from ourselves when we're about to create a mess or just make a fool of ourselves or whatever. But God always comes through for us when we need him the most. (laughs) So, you know, I have had to ask my kids to forgive me more times than I even want to admit. And even if I didn't do a great job of imparting identity God imparts identity. And no mother is perfect, and love will always overcome. And, you know, 1 Peter 4, 8 says love covers a multitude of sin. And I just want to take one brief moment to mention one other mother. I told a longer version of Sarah, but I want to mention Rebecca. You know, Sarah and Abraham, they gave birth to Isaac, and then Isaac marries Rebecca. And Rebecca, as a mom, she has a promise. Just like Sarah, she has a promise from God. It's in Genesis 25, 33. And he tells her that two nations are in your womb. And two people from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other. And the older will serve the younger. And even though she has this promise, she has this word from God, she too decides she's going to interfere and try to tell God how to make this uh, be fulfilled in her life. And we know the story. She deceives her husband, and she and Jacob um, deceive, um, you know, Jacob's father. And Jacob 
receives the blessing, but because of it, Jacob is forced to flee for his life. And this family's ripped apart and they are broken. But we know that God's favorite story to tell is the story of redemption. And, you know, they lived apart. These two brothers lived apart from twin, for more than 20 years. That would break my heart as a mother to see your sons living apart. And, you know, Jacob hears that Esau's coming, and he thinks, oh, my goodness, it's time. He's finally come to kill me. And he divides his family up. And he decides, I'm going to go ahead and try to intercept him. And he ran on ahead, but it says, but Esau ran to meet Jacob and embraced him. He threw his arms around his neck and kissed him, and they wept. And forgiveness began to take place. And later on, he says, Jacob, uh, Esau says to Jacob, let us start on our journey together, and may it lead us to trust, hope, and peace. And the family is restored. You know, after that, they lived among one another for a long time. But later it says that their possessions became so great that they had to expand their territories. They became two nations. And Rebecca's promise was fulfilled. And this family's destiny continued on. And isn't it comforting, ladies? And it could be for men to just think about this, that even the mistakes of, of Eve and Sarah and Rebecca could not stop the destiny that God had for this family. And, you know, in all of our mistakes that we made with our children, we tried to hold on to this one truth. And that truth is that nothing else matters as long as we can maintain a heart connection with their hearts that we would stay connected as family. You know, maybe you think your family has too much of a mess that it can't be restored, or maybe you're believing God for a son or a daughter to come home. Know this, that God has redeemed damage and brokenness in the family. That's good news, isn't it? So, ladies, I want to remind you. I'm going to close with this. I want to remind you of something. Um, In January, I spoke this uh, message on redemption. And I talked about how God redeemed it all from garden to garden. And I think it's just a beautiful picture for ladies. And I know that God redeemed many things for Adam. But today we're talking more to the ladies. So I'm going to talk about just what he did for Eve and how he redeemed it all from garden to garden. And what I love about God's redemption is that no detail goes unnoticed. And he loves to take every story back around into a full and complete circle. So, you know, God redeemed it all from garden to garden. And here's what I mean. You know, sin happened in a garden when Eve did not resist temptation. But you know what Jesus did? He decided to conquer sin and death by doing what? Resisting temptation. And that was, you know, in the garden of Gethsemane when he said, not my will, but your will be done. And God gave Eve to Adam so that he'd never have to be alone. And I like to say that I believe it was so that she could take him to the tree of life, but she fell short of that. But, you know, the serpent came first to a woman in a garden. And after Jesus rose from the dead and had the keys of death in his hand, he came first to a woman, Mary Magdalene, in a garden. And he commissioned her. He said, go, go tell. Go tell the disciples that I've risen from the dead. And in that moment, he restored woman's voice. And he 
restored her ability to take others to the tree of life. You know, he redeemed woman from the stigma that had been placed on her. He redeemed or he removed the shame that had been brought on by sin. He restored womankind to her rightful place of co-dominion and honor among man. And you know what? He also gave woman a promise. This is in Genesis 3.15 when he simply tells the enemy, I've put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, and he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And in that is a promise of a redeemer who in the future would not only crush the head of the serpent, but that God's judgment upon the serpent contains the promise of ultimate victory through the woman by her offspring. There's destiny on family. So again, God's solution to damage of sin was to raise up family. And it wasn't just so that he could have this nation to call his own, but it was to raise up a family that would ultimately give birth to the Redeemer. See, that was his destiny on this family. So today I want you to go away with a couple of little takeaways. The first one is that family makes you strong. You have this incredible strength when it comes to family, and no one is meant to do this alone, right? Physical family or church community, right? We're not meant to do this alone. We must stay connected as family. There's destiny on family. So God has redeemed damage and brokenness in family, and through that redemption, you know what he did? He restored family to its original intention in creation, and the whole earth will be filled with his glory because God restores it all, and he redeems it all. So this is how we're going to end our day. We are going to make some declarations over our family. So I want you to stand up, stretch your legs, get your declaration voices ready, be bold, be strong. And I think uh, Ryder is going to put these up. And I want you to say it like you mean it. So I want you to shout this out to the mountaintops. But these are declarations over different relationships. Are y'all ready? Help me out. Don't make me do it alone. Okay, ready? One, two, three. I declare that the God of breakthrough is making me a powerful builder of family, relationships, and community. I am empowered to create an amazing family through marriage, childbirth, and adoption, through creating Eckett friendships, and through being a leader to my extended family and a real member who blesses my community. All right, next declaration. Ready? I believe everyone in my family and friendship network will have an opportunity to know and fully love God because of our connection. I declare that my whole household will be saved, walking in their full connection with God in complete destiny. My family, household, and relationships will be blessed. We will bless our extended families, careers, spiritual gifts, talents, and opportunities. In everything we do and everywhere we go, the God of breakthrough will help us succeed. 
He surrounds us with favor like a shield, and no weapon formed against us shall prosper. What the Lord has blessed, no one can curse. And last one, I think. God, a breakthrough is bringing my family into the promised land, both individually and corporately. He will author and finish his will for us in our lifetimes, and nothing will be cut short. And last one, sorry, guys. Ready? Bebo, come on, let's mean it. God will break through any places we get stuck in relationally or financially, in our health, or in any other area that would bring about pain, destruction, or brokenness. God will cut off any plans of the enemy to steal from us, kill us, or destroy our connections. He will bring us into the life he planned for us, a life that is abundant and full through Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ. I said it wrong. Hallelujah. Everybody say hallelujah. All right. All right. All right.